This is the VIP Podcast, Virginia in Politics. Let's listen to host Chris Saxman explore the personalities and policies that connect the Commonwealth. The VIP Podcast is brought to you by the VCTA, Broadband Association of Virginia, and Virginia Free. The views and opinions expressed here do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the VCTA and Virginia Free or our sponsors. Okay, this is Chris Saxman back on the VIP podcast with our brand new VIP delegate David Reed from Loudoun County. The VIP podcast is brought to you by VCTA, the Broadband Association of Virginia and Virginia Free, of which I am the executive director. Good morning, Delegate Reed. Well, good morning, Chris. It's really nice to be here. Nice to be only nine days away, hopefully, from getting out of here. I hope so. Is it I nine? Hope that, we, we, I, we count I on you guys for nine. That. I actually have. I actually have a countdown calculator on my phone. I've not looked at it this morning, but okay. I think yesterday it was 10 days and some hours. Okay. And that's assuming that we're get out of here on time, which I hope we will. I, I, my, my, all of my conversations lead me to that conclusion. Right. And no one's saying we're gonna be here a while. I, it, next week is conference week, when all the right. bills have to be in conference, and so it's gonna be a lot of uh, fits and starts. Uh, for those of you playing at home on the board version of Election Nerd Disneyland, this is just Virginia politics. Correct. And it gets in a rhythm. We have deadlines. They are hard deadlines. And I think this year, because there is enough money to, let's be honest, dole out to our relative or our respective constituencies, it's just a matter of saying, okay, we can shape and manage this. There's no sense staying here over time. Is that fair? Yeah. And, and you bring up a good point because this is one of those times where I think for the first time, maybe since you were here, and I know since I've been here, that we have just unprecedented surpluses. I mean, the projection is that over the next three years, we're going to have somewhere in the neighborhood of 13.4 to 13.8 billion dollars in surpluses. So you're correct. I mean, there's the ability to be able to put money into projects and efforts that are really important to everybody. I have been serving on appropriations now. This is my third year on appropriations. And one of the things that I've been here for th- how many long have you been I, here? For four I, years? I, I've been here for five. And but I've you're been, on appropriations for three yes, years already. Yes. That's staggering to me. It, it, as, it a, as, as an old timer. And, and, and for me, it's something that and I'm re- younger than you. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're not supposed to tell that. <laughs> but, but it's something that I really do enjoy because I enjoy the details of it and right. I enjoy the financial part of it. Right. And the other thing that I tell people, and if you think about the budget, the budget is really about two things. One is about priorities. Right. And the other is about a vision of what you want Virginia's future to be. Right. And everything that we do in the budget should be measured to those two standards. Are we taking care of a priority that we need to fund right now? And then are we investing? Those are the things that we want to happen in the future. And that's one of those things where I think with the surpluses that we have, for the most part, we can do those things. And some of those priorities are being able to put money back in people's pockets. In another instance, it's investing in education and other things for the future. And this is uh, the, the... The conversation has always been around with surpluses. Is it one-time money? Is this a blip on the radar screen? Obviously, three years of projected surpluses is not a blip necessarily, but is it structural? Or is it, and is it just the wave that came in with all the money that was being printed through the pandemic to get the country through it, which is now accruing and coming back to the, to the government uh, to be spent in or returned in some f- shape or fashion? But there's been no real debate on that. Right. In, in, is that fair? There's, we're just going, oh my gosh, we got all this money, what are we going to do with it? 
So I think some of the debate is actually occurring in appropriations discussions because you really point out a good thing is that we have these discussions all the time about whether or not this is one-time money right. or one-time expense. And I'll give you a couple of examples. It's like I had put in a budget amendment for $5 million a year to develop EV infrastructure in rural Southwest and Southside by working with the cooperatives. Co okay. It was then decided that, okay, we don't need that money in there for two years because then that starts to create kind of an ongoing expenditure. Mm -hmm. And so instead it was scaled down to a one-time uh, one-time appropriation in the first year of only $5 million. So those discussions are going on. It really isn't kind of debated on the House floor or probably in... This is not a conversation that goes back on at the Loudoun County Democratic Committee. No. This is, no. Not, this is not the old Republican versus Democrat view of spending. I mean, it's there. I think ideologically there are some, you know, there's some jockeying around these things, but it's not like we're going to get in there and save the one-time money, or no, we're going to get in there and put in some programmatics, but it's not happening. No, and see, I think one of the things that's really, I mean, whether it was Delegate Torian or, or Delegate Jones before him, or Delegate Torian as the chair of appropriation, or de now Delegate Knight, they all take that role very seriously, very seriously. Of, of making sure that we maintain our AAA bond rating, mm -hmm. that we're not spending money that we're not going to have in the future, and that's when those discussions with both the staff and other people get into the fact about is this one-time money or is this ongoing money that we can spend. And ongoing money is things where it's like, I think we really made an effort during the two years that we were in the majority to rectify some of the issues that had been developing with not paying law enforcement. Mm -hmm. I mean, for the better part of 20 years, because when I got here in 2018, the Virginia State Police was reporting to us that they had 247 vacancies that they couldn't fill mm -hmm. because of pay issues. The next year it had become 283. By the time we took over the majority in 2020, it had become 300. And so we really put a lot of effort to, to being able to pay our Virginia State Police, our deputies and correctional, and that has now continued on with a Delegate Knight being in charge. But that's one of those things where it's like, if I'm going to pay you, I have to have the money there to pay you that every year afterwards. And all the, and all the other compensation right. that comes with that. Uh, unlike if you're doing a one-time investment right. in EV infrastructure for Southwest Southside. Building a bridge. Right. It's a one-time thing. So those right. discussions are going on. And how vibrant are they? I mean, in that line of, you know, because the governor put in a substantial uh, tax uh, I don't want to call them rebates, but tax cuts right. that really started to focus in on that conversation. Who does, where does the money go? Right. And now we have a lot of money to go in places where um, it hadn't been before, hadn't been really considered before. So we have not a lot of new ideas coming to the fore as well. Yeah. I think one of the things that's really very appealing about being on appropriations is appropriations is really very collegial. I mean, you will have Democrats and Republicans sit down together offline or you know, in committees or, or things like that, and we will talk about these things. We will talk about what's the good policy. Now, in the end, you have to realize that there were certain priorities that Chris Jones had when he was a Republican and he was in the majority. There were certain priorities that Delegate Torian had, and there are certain priorities that Delegate Knight has. So there is a bit of partisan to it, but by the same token, you can look at the budget and say, there's good stuff in there mm -hmm. for everyone. But the thing that I think would be the important takeaway is that the appropriations work that goes on both in public as well as behind the scenes is very collegial because we know that it is such an important fiduciary responsibility. Because there's probably two things that we do that really, I mean, the legislation is all very important, 
but there's probably two things that we do that probably most directly impact the lives of people across the Commonwealth. One is the budget, because it's a $158 billion budget and it touches all parts of the economy and all parts of people's lives. The other part is the judicial appointments. We're still the only state in the nation that puts the the sole responsibility of appointing judges with the legislature. And it's something that we need to take very seriously because sometimes the only experience that people have with the entire governmental process mm -hmm. is when they're going before judicial, juvenile and domestic relations or general district yeah. or the circuit court. And so we need to take those things very serious because when we appoint those people, those are people that are being appointed for six or eight years. And we have to hope that we've written laws that allow them to make the right judicial decisions, right. but that we're also putting good people in those positions. And, and, they, and unfortunately, for those that are watching this on the board version at home, all these decisions come down to the last week of the General Assembly session. A, a lot of times they and do. It, it gets, so you, and you have not the same people doing those same decisions, and sometimes there's some overlap. Uh, so you have House Appropriations and Senate Finance doing their thing, and then Courts of Justice doing their thing, uh, judiciary committees, they've, right. they've been renamed because we're getting so much more like D.C. We have to be yeah. like D.C. So everyone goes, oh, I'm right. on judiciary. Okay, whatever. Right. But the reality is you only have a certain subset of legislators making these decisions. When you get down to the and, conference reports, that's correct. And, and, then it, and then it collides at the end of session when everyone's dog tired, mm -hmm. right? And it gets very personal very quickly, especially on the ju judicial nominations. Right. I mean, it gets unsavory. And, and that's the reason why it, it's like, we, we were talking about this before we went online. One of the things that I like to draw upon with my experience in the Navy is I like to respect the lanes in the road. And not only that, is that you have to be willing to trust your, trust your colleagues, that they're doing the vetting on courts of justice. Mm -hmm. And, and you, you, it is really imperative that it's like, if they are doing vetting on something, that you actually provide them an input. You can't wait till the end and then be upset about a decision when you actually had the opportunity to provide input. And I'll give you another good example right now that we're having this discussion with in Northern Virginia is about the stadium authority. Mm. So there's the stadium authority, there's the bill that came out from Delegate Knight, and I voted for that, and then there's the bill that came out from uh, Senator Saslaw. Now, I went through... Did you vote against the Saslaw bill? Well, I voted to, of course, we conformed Delegate Knight's bill oh, to did. his, so I okay. voted for it again. You, you voted to put it in conference? Yes, exactly. Okay. But one of the things that I did, I think it was two weekends ago, is I went home, I read the legislation, and then I went through and came up with 14 individual amendments for that piece of legislation. And I actually did what you would normally think of DLS doing, is that I copied and pasted and went through and did the strikethroughs, did the underlines and everything like that. And I shared that with Delegate Knight. I shared it with Delegate Torian because Prince William's involved. Oh yeah. I shared it with the commanders and also the government officials and the lobbyists from Loudoun County. So I've now had my opportunity to provide my input on the stadium authority. And some of those things were technical in nature. I, I spent you know, probably 30 years working in the Northern Virginia business community. And so one of the things that I put in there is that when you work in federal contracting, the federal government will have what they call a transition in plan, and that's kind of what the bill does now. But then you also need to have a transition out plan. So when you lose the contract, how are you going to help the other company come in and continue to do this work? We need to be sure that when this is over and done with 20 and 30 years from now, that we have a good transition out plan. 
because we don't want to end up with a derelict stadium in either Loudoun County or Prince William, much like what RFK is in D.C. Right. And if we don't think about those things 20 or 30 years from now when neither one of us are doing this, then we've kind of done a disservice to our community. So those are the type of things. Is that, that the big hang-up right now on the, on the bill? No, I think the big hang-up is that it, it's really kind of two different ways of doing things. I really think the Delegate Knights is really much more kind of a conservative approach. It, it follows, I believe, what is Virginia's tradition in kind of doing performance-based incentives. Mm -hmm. and, and one of the key things that's is his is that you're not going to be able to get any of these incentives until the first NFL game is played in the new stadium. Mm. So again, just like Amazon headquarters, Amazon is getting an incentive from the state to bring 25,000 jobs here that pay an average of $150,000 a year. They don't get that money up front, they get it after they've delivered. Right. So that's the reason why Virginia does these performance-based incentives, whether it's Amazon or Nitril or Micron, and now if it's the stadium authority, the same type of thing. So that's one of the things that I think that Delegate Knight did a really good job of writing into his legislation. And then I was just trying to enhance that. Well, that's the job of a, of a, of a delegate, right. of a legislator. That's what you're supposed to do. Let's, let's talk about uh, the collegiality aspect yeah. of the legislature. Do you think that's been, um, uh, in your time here, helped by the tightness of the majorities, the, the close majorities in both chambers now? It's gotten, because what I've witnessed and having been there when we had large majorities, mm -hmm. um, especially on the House side, um, and I've talked to some of your colleagues who have sat in that chair, they said, you know, things are working here. I, I've, I've referred to it as being mechanical, even clinical. You know, the, the mill is running. Right. And it's just, the, the, it's churning in legislation. They're, everyone's working hard and getting down to it. And uh, Senator Monty Mason said he believes it was because of everyone having to make close coalitions, all the working coalitions, like on a continual basis. I think there's some value to that kind of, that, that, that concept. I will Is it accurate? Well, I, I, think, I, I think so to a certain degree. I will tell you, when I got here in 2018, somebody had asked me after session, they said, what was one of your number one lessons learned? And I said, the number one thing I learned is that as a delegate, you have to be able to do basic math. And at the time, <laughs> Very quickly. 51 was still greater than 49. And if I needed to be able to get anything done, I needed to get at least two Republicans mm -hmm. to support it in the subcommittee, committee, and then hopefully on the House floor. And one of the things, again, having worked in the business community and working in federal contracting, there is a term that is used that's called competimates. Okay? Competimates. Competimates. Let me write so that sometime one we're like like if I work for a defense contractor and you work for Northrop Grumman, sometime we're gonna be competitors. Right. We're gonna bid against each other on things. And then because you're Northrop Grumman and I'm a smaller business, there are times when I'm gonna be on your team and we're gonna right. be a teammate. Right. So we go throughout the federal contracting community know that knowing that we're going to be competitors. We're going to be friends at times, and at times we're going to be competitors. Right. And so I carried that over to when I came down here. And what you may not know about me is my family has lived in Virginia. Uh, I was born and raised in Rockbridge County. My family has lived in Virginia since the 1700s. And so one of the first things I did when I got down here in 2018 is I went and introduced myself to Ben Klein, who at okay. the time represented the 24th District. Lexington. Then I went and introduced myself to Terry Austin because my mom was from Botetourt. Okay. 
I went and introduced myself to Les Adams. Good Adam. on you for, for pronouncing it correctly. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, and I went and introduced myself to Les Adams and Matt Ferris, who represented Alta Vista, where my dad was living then. Okay. And Chris Collins, where I went to school at Randolph-Macon uh, Academy for a little bit. And so I made my round. Oh, and and you built relationships, right? It's and, the number and, one, it's and, the number one reality of this game down here. Yeah, and also and I hate to say it's not a game. Right, right. Every time I say like I go back home and say, well, that's just the game. People, oh, it's almost just a game. No, no, no. It's no, not no. a game. It's just a it, it's really speaking. very serious. But, but it's a manner of speaking. Yeah, but but Charlie Poindexter because Charlie Poindexter right. represented the area at Smith Mountain Lake, and we go down there every year sure. for vacation. So I went and introduced to all because it's like I wanted them to know that even though I was from Loudoun County. I had ties all over the valley and Southside and other places, and I, I wanted to be able to develop an empathetic relationship with them so that I could hopefully get things done. And, and because I think the key thing is, is that you need to be down here working to solve problems. And if you're doing that, then I think the people in any district that you're in are going to be very respectful and very appreciative of that. So back to your point is that I, I think the close the close majorities mandates that you kind of do that and develop those relationships and those that are successful have done it those that have chosen to continue to operate at the partisan extremes on either end i think are maybe a little bit less effective what's the number one problem to be solved down here if there's one thing that delegate david reed can do say guys this is my last term i'm out not to suggesting that you are you should but what would be the one thing you'd say, I'm leaving behind this and what, this is what you should work on? I think the number one problem, and I have been addressing this since the beginning of this session, and actually I have been addressing it since 2020, and that's the issue of school construction across the Commonwealth. For, and I don't mean to make this partisan, but for the better part of 20 years. Go ahead, the, the, else does. I mean, this, this, is, this is not rocket science. Right, but. It's, but, it's, a, it's a binary construct. But, but for the better part of 20 years, the Republicans were in the majority, and where most of the issues are with school construction are in areas that the Republicans represent. I, I will go to ribbon cutting ceremonies for a new elementary school in Loudoun County like once a year. I mean, because we now have over 80 schools in, in Loudoun County. And, we have the ability to be able to fund those type of things. Other parts of the Commonwealth do not. And, and there is this kind of historical mindset that it's not the responsibility of the state, so therefore we're not gonna do anything about it. As we started this session, and again, being on appropriations, I looked at what Governor Northam had introduced. I looked at the projected, the, the projected surpluses, and I looked at the problem that had been divine, defined out of Senator McClellan's uh, school construction and modernization, right. thing, which it defines it as being potentially a $25 billion problem because there are over a thousand schools across the Commonwealth that are 50 years or older or, or older. And in many jurisdictions, we're talking about one elementary school, mm -hmm. one middle school, and one high school. An elementary school costs between 25 and $36 million. That, that, doesn't, that doesn't include the cost of the land. That's just building the building. A high school cost $100 million. I mean, that, that's a fungible number across the Commonwealth. So I looked at what the governor, Governor Northam, had put in, and I said, this is not sufficient, because he had put in $500 million. The money that is now in the, the current House budget is like 571. That means that if you are at the tail end of that $25 billion problem, and we do $500 million a year a year, that means it'll be 50 years before you get to it, and if your school is already 50 years old. So I put in a $6 billion budget amendment. 
Six billion dollar budget billion amendment. Uh, that's correct. And I can say One that time money? It would have been to capitalize a school construction. I called it smart scale for school construction. Okay. Because if you were here, I can't remember if you were here when smart scale was done, but prior to smart scale for transportation done, mm -hmm. the funding for transportation was always very politicized. Oh yeah. In your district, it's like, I want money for roads because roads help me get reelected. I want money for roads. But then we came up with smart scale. It was a joint effort between Terry McAuliffe and a Republican General Assembly at the time, and that took the politics out of transportation funding. We need to take the politics out of school funding, but we also need to make a commitment at the fact that it's like, if those jurisdictions had 25 or 36 or $100 million, they'd already be building their school. And the problem is, the reality is, in rural jurisdictions, they don't have the money. They don't have the money. But there's, they and there's no way to generate that money. Right. And, 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 and I recognize that. And that's the reason why. Is this going to upend the, the, go back to this word, this fundamental construct in Virginia law that ultimately school decisions are local decisions? So school decisions should be a local decision. But school construction, we're talking Is about. Is that a state obligation? No, it's not a state obligation. But I'm saying that the state needs to have a state needs to contribute to solving this problem because the localities can't. And the idea behind this whole thing, smart scale for school construction, if you use the model that was used for transportation, it basically says the state is going to provide money, but there's going to be a, an apolitical process and criteria that says this is how we're going to do it. We're going to look at who's the most need, where the school is 100 years old, and, and all of those different okay. type of things. And then the locality is also going to have to provide matching money. And this is where you get into those pieces of legislation where, again, my friends and colleagues on the Republican side killed all of the bills that would allow the localities to increase their local sales tax by 1% to be able to help fund schools. That was the way that was done for Halifax, for Gloucester, I think for Pennsylvania. And we were going to do it statewide, let all of the localities do this if they wanted. But that was not achievable this session. But you can put those two things together, then you are well on the way to providing $12 billion worth of money to solve a $25 billion problem. Are you going to apply the same standard of performance for the money for those local, and ideally, for those localities to take advantage of this opportunity? Because many of the, uh, the schools are horrible at maintaining their assets. They don't do a very good job of, let's be honest, taking care of what they got. No, no that's they, they defer maintenance, they defer maintenance, and they defer maintenance. They, we also have an underlying problem in this commonwealth, is that independent cities reside inside counties mm -hmm. and they don't share those responsibilities. So a lot of those localities of which you speak, not specifically, obviously, right. are losing on the scale that Loudoun and Fairfax and Prince William and Virginia Beach and Chesterfield and Henrico all have. They are, they, and, and that has to force that conversation on the, on the utility of independent cities, does it not? I, and, and I think you bring up a good point, especially on the deferred maintenance thing, because some of these buildings have become so old that it's like it really is... They're not saleable. No, it, it really is very problematic. they're not sellable. No. And, and, and one of the things that I think when, when you grow up in that area is that when you grow up in that area and you talk to people in there, there's this kind of common theme where it's like, I don't want a hand out. I want a hand up. I want a helping hand. And again, I think there's a role for us as the state to be able to say, we're going to give you a helping hand. And I think we give them those helping hands and then they're going to be much more inclined to, 
to address that maintenance. But are you willing to put those provisions? Like I, I think we like, could. And, and you see, because you're talking about assets. I mean, the asset, right. and this is, a, this is an, an important part on the stadium mm -hmm. authority bill. When I looked at it, I'm like, why should the state swallow a 30-year-old stadium if Dan Snyder chooses to go back across Potomac, right? Right, no. And the same thing applies to, to schools. You say, okay, fine, here's your school, but if you don't maintain it, and What's the hammer provision in that? And, and you see, that that's a really good point because, again, there were two parts to this amendment. One was the money part, and right. let me just give you some ideas on that. One was $500 million that Governor Northam had already put in, and then there was a $564 million of a voluntary, because we're already at the, at the constitutionally required threshold for having reserves. So there was another voluntary $564 million that he put Explain in. Explain the voluntary. The it, 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 it basically is like. Debt, general debt obligation? Well, no, it's for um, rainy day reserves. Oh, okay. 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 So we're already now at the 15% that we need to be at, and he was going to do another voluntary contribution above that because it, it, it's good to have it. Right. But we have a requirement that it be at 15% of general fund. We're there. Right. So, so let's take this money and use it where we need it to be used. So that 500 plus that 564, and then Governor Northam took $2.8 billion in cash mm -hmm. to pay for capital stuff that could be done with our AAA bond rating. If you have the ability to be able to borrow money at 1% or 2% in the market right now, it really is incumbent to be able to do that. So you take that 2.8 plus that other like 1.1, and you're really well on your way to getting to $6 billion, and you've not touched any of the other things that people say are important with being able to give rebates back to people, to being able to do the tax cut on the groceries and other things. But the point is, is that was the money part. The other part of the amendment, and I, and I would encourage you to go look at it underneath, the like the, the, the budget amendment that I okay, put the in. Budget amendment. Okay. The budget amendment that you I put in. Constitutional amendments. This time yeah, of year, yeah, yeah, it's, no, it's, it's kind of crossed. The, the budget amendment actually says there will be a work group that will get together. Is that budget amendment still alive? Oh, no. Okay. It's, it's not. But, but the so, concept. So we're on the 23 session. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's the concept. Well, we're, we're on this thing where it's like you had asked me earlier. It's like if there was one thing I could do, what would I do? Yeah. And that one thing is I would fix this issue with school construction because the money that we have available right now, as we talked about earlier, we don't know how long that $13.5 billion is going to be there. But it's like, if we make this investment in schools, we're making an investment that's going to be there for 50 or another 100 years. It's going to outlive all of us. It's something that we would all be able to point to that in this particular time frame, we had this additional money and we made the right investment for the future of our children. And because I believe that those children that are in Wise County or Loudoun or Pennsylvania need to have the right, safe learning environment. And we have an opportunity to do that. And I think we're... Well, you're starting the process. We're missing that opportunity. And as we know in Virginia in politics, these things take time. They do. Because you have to convince people who otherwise don't need to be convinced. And, and not only that, is that it requires... It, it does. It requires That's a paradigm shift. That's a great way to say it, too. I should write that down. It requires a paradigm shift. Completely. Because people have to... But what are you willing to give up to Republicans to get that passed? And that, that's what it's going to come down to. So the, the, the thing that it has to do to get it passed is that, again, they have to be willing to recognize that this is for the benefit mostly of people in their areas. Because I think that there might be one or two schools that are 50 years old or older in Loudoun County. And Loudoun County, if you put in this process in place, has the money to do their own schools. Loudoun County is not going to benefit from this. It's going to be the folks that are in the valley, down in Southwest, Southland, urban Richmond, urban Virginia Beach, areas that have schools that are run down. This, this, so 
it, so it, what's been the rub? Is it just it was, the, the, was it too big, too quick? Like this is a big like. Well, we got to take our time with this one, get it right. I, th I think there's something like that. It's kind of hard to get your head there's, around. There's a lot going on, and and, 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 and a lot of times these conversations, as we talked about earlier, they're held in certain committees, and, and no one else touches them. Right. Because you're so siloed up here, even though you're. And you said early on, I'm down here to stay in my lane. Right. And if you if that's not out of your committee, you're like, I, I look, I'm dealing with other stuff over here. And, and I think also the 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 most common pushback that I get is that it's not the state's responsibility to build schools. It's never been the state's responsibility well, to build schools. Well, I think this is, this, is, this is a dangerous construct. I mean, not dangerous. It's a significant shift. Right. Because now we're getting into state oversight and control of local decision making. And On because, school construction. Because with that comes ties. Right. You, you want the money. You want to do this. But, you know, we're going to do it this way. Because we're talking about charter schools now. And people are going, oh, that's a local decision. Right, right. And, 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 and charter schools can go in and with underutilized assets do remarkable things that would, you know, lessen the need for some of that construction. It, it, it's possible. That's yeah. the, but that's yeah, the conversation. Yeah. And, and those aren't siloed up. That's an education right, conversation. Right. So, I mean, it does. I mean, we're, we're going to have to ha have a complete paradigm shift in how we look at this. And I think that this is really kind of the first part of that discussion because I think when people go back to their districts, and they go to visit the schools that still have buckets in the hallway mm -hmm. because the roofs are leaking. Oh, or that's what they, happened in my high school. Right. Or, time, when I was there in 83, I wore my baseball helmet to class because the tiles were falling off the right. ceiling. And, and at some point, the, <laughs> the glue finally gave out. <laughs> and, and at some point, the folks in those districts are going to say enough is enough. Right. And what I think I've put on the table is this is a way to, start. to do this, to start. and if it's and and I don't in any way presuppose that I have all the answers. No, and I, Be, and I'm not sensing pride of authorship. No, no, because one of the things is is that you recognize down here, and and this is a funny story that I've told before, is that in my first session I probably should have gotten more mentoring, because it's like I came down here in 2018 and I introduced 23 bills. Of, as a freshman, of those, one bill passed, okay? Yeah, that's and, aggressive. 23 and, your first year? And, and, and I will tell people that it's like things that you're sitting at home at the kitchen table in Loudoun County. Here's seeing, where you made the mistake. I'm going I'm I'm yeah. I'm to jump ahead in the program here. You did that out of your own head. These were your ideas, right? They were. They never passed. Right, right. They it's never, like, right? It's like your they, ideas never passed they, down here. They, Not they, you, the legislator. I'm going to come down here and do this. I have this bill, and everyone goes, "What the hell are you thinking?" They throw yeah, it away. Yeah. Things that you think are a great idea when you're sitting at home in your kitchen you're table are, are not a great idea when you get down here and you start <laughs> talking to. Again, think about this. I mean, you you have from across the Commonwealth, you have a hundred. Type A overachieving personalities that when you put them in a room, all overachieving. We all Let's think we're we here. all There's think we're right. Here. That's for you to say. Name name, name three. The, 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 so, 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 so we're all overachieving personalities who think we're right, and then we get down here, and then you mix in you, you mix in the stakeholders and the the it's executive branch and everything else, and all of a sudden you realize. Wow, this wasn't such a great idea because I didn't think about X, well, Y, and Z. Well, it has to withstand the but, test but you, of the legislature. But, but That's have, a good thing. You, That's you, the whole purpose of this place. You, you have to be self-aware to understand that that's that, that it's part of the process. And you can't fall in love with your idea. Oh no, that's one of the things that I, when when I'm mentoring either new candidates or new delegates, it's like don't get emotionally attached to your legislation. It's not about and, you. And, and you can you can also borrow from kind of I think it was Eisenhower's 
quote that it's like, no, no plan, no battle plan survives first contact with the enemy. Or, it's or, like, or as Mike Tyson said, everyone's got a plan to get punched in the face. Right. Or, I, you know, the, the, the phrase that I've used, which is that no legislation survives first contact with the subcommittee. Right. I mean, and, and from there, it's all downhill. Right, right, right. Uh, David, it's been a, I really enjoyed this conversation uh, lively, and I think there's some opportunity here on your school construction efforts, especially with the business community uh, that my organization represents. We right. were very much behind a lot of the, the, the construction for K through, or not, the higher education bond packages and some of the other initiatives to invest in our infrastructure. And I think many in the business community would welcome the conversation right. to invest in our educational infrastructure. Um, let's move to a little bit more personal yeah. side of David. I read your biography, not the normal course of life. You, you have an intriguing uh, yeah. background. And I'm from the Valley as well. I went Where are you from? I'm Stanton. Oh, okay. And, and, and you school. say that right also. I went to school in Lexington. Okay. Um, just west of the military college. Um, and then you lived in Oklahoma. Yes. Is this where your empathy comes from? Your difficult childhood? I would like to think that it does. So, so let, if, if, share what you can share. Want to share? Yeah, yeah, sure. No, th this is one of those things that, as you are, because again, I, as I said earlier, it's like I've spent thirty years in the North Virginia business community, and so when you're doing that type of work, it doesn't come up that you were a foster child or that you were this or whatever, because you're just, you know, you're just you're doing, you're just doing. But uh, my family has lived in the Rockbridge for, like I said, since the 1700s. And my mom left home when I was six years old, leaving my dad to take care of five children. He then went to doing work as a handyman. Um, after four years of doing that, he, and, and we were- and where were you in the lineup of children? I was the middle child. Oh, middle so, child so, syndrome too. Yeah, so it, it, so it depends because <laughs> it's syndrome, like, not a disease. Well, well, no, the middle child is either the, the one who helps to bring people together ah. or the middle child is the one who is the instigator and I probably fall into both categories at different times. You're finding your lane. But, but, but I have two older sisters and two younger brothers and so I, okay. I was the middle child. And we were living in Buena Vista and we were living in a four-room cinder block house with an outhouse and I, four rooms, not four bedrooms. And so all of the, my, my oldest sister had left home. She, she decided she didn't want to be, she didn't want to be the surrogate mom because sure. she was 16 years old at the time. She had- Left at 16. Yeah, when my mom left. And, and oh, then, she went with your mother? No, she didn't. Oh. She, she stayed at home. I mean, all of us. So I, I had a youngest brother who was two. Ooh. And then my oldest sister was 16 when my mom left. And so she became effectively the surrogate mom. Sure. And she was going to high school. And then she decided Barry she... Barry McClure Blues? Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. And, 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 See? Yeah. and I went to Mountain View Elementary. Okay. No, well. And so she had decided that um, she didn't like this idea of being surrogate mom anymore. Yeah. And so she dropped out of high school, got married. Wow. And then that left my dad taking care of the four of us. And after four years of doing that, then we moved to, he moved us to the Methodist Children's Home here in Richmond. And in 1972, the Methodist Children's Home in Richmond was still very much like an orphanage. Whereas and you're how old? I was 10 at the time. Wow. And, and so you get separated up by age and gender. And so we all went and lived in different cottages. But, um, the children's home at the time was still very much like an orphanage where it's like you would go there to basically spend your time until you turned 18 and you aged out. Now, I was- Was your father with you all at this time? So my dad actually, <clears throat> excuse me, my dad actually got a job at the children's home. Okay. And he was working there. Handyman. But, but we weren't like with him, so we didn't live together as a family unit. Okay. One brother was in 
cottage six and I was in cottage 20. My sister was over in cottage two and you know, different things like that. And so he was there. We would see him occasionally, but you know, not on a, a regular basis. And then um, I, I remember I went, to, I, I went to school for two years at the Richmond Public Schools. And so that's one of those things where, again, I've been to the Richmond Public Schools You've and I, seen it. I, I have a Done degree it. of empathy. And so when Delegate Jeff Bourne and I are talking about stuff, it's like, I, I've no kidding, been to these schools. And then I, I apparently had, um, I, I needed more structured environment. Okay, it would be a polite way of saying it. And so. Well, what kid wouldn't? And so I went to, I, I was sent to Randolph. You said it with a smile on your face. Well, though. I did. Well, I was sent to Randolph-Macon Academy um, up in Front Royal okay. from the children's home to Randolph-Macon Academy okay. as a freshman and a sophomore in high school. Okay. And so I went from having like my highest grade in Richmond was a D minus to then going to Randolph-Macon Academy where it's like the more structured environment gave me an opportunity to excel. But it was interesting because it's like I would be at Randolph-Macon and it was kind of like, it was kind of like the Harry Potter story where it's like I'm off at an institution for school and then I would go, I, when I would go home, I would go back to the children's home to another institutional environment for summer vacation and things like that. So I would go from living in one group setting to living in another group setting wow. for, you know, for vacation, for lack of a better term. But I, I learned a lot along the way. And then the deputy administrator of the children's home, John Gregory, at the time, had gotten the job to be the administrator for the children's home out in Tahlequah, Oklahoma. And they had no children of their own. And so they talked to the children's home, talked to my dad, and I, you know, my guardianship and my youngest brother was turned over to John and Jean Gregory and then I moved out to Oklahoma with them as a rising junior in high school. So it's one of those things where it's like you're at that awkward teenage time, you're going from being a sophomore. And what year is this? You were talking... Uh, this would have been 78. 78, 79. Yeah, it's okay. like 100 years ago now. Um, but, uh, uh, but so it was we're 1978. <laughs> I, I went and, and you have to realize that again, with my family being in Rockbridge County, and we were always poor, um, we never talked about college. And this is one of the things that's so really important is the fact that it's like, I'm the first person in my family to ever get a college degree. And when I say the first person ever, I mean going all the way back to the 1700s because I've looked at our So, so the family going back all those generations, centuries in Rockbridge County, were they itinerant farmers, were they handymen? All of the above. We were part of that Scott-Irish group of people yeah. that yeah, probably came in in Philadelphia, went down the wagon train, sure. ended up in Rockbridge County. Built the Presbyterian and, churches. And then just eked out an existence okay. for hundreds of years. Hundreds of years. And, and I will say this, it's like even when we were living in the cinder block house there, it's like we didn't go hungry. Right. I mean, but it, it, it's like ate a lot of fried bologna sandwiches, oatmeal, pinto beans. I didn't know I was poor until fourth grade, Mountain View Elementary, I got called to the principal's office. And when you get called to the principal's office, your automatic reaction, it's like getting called to the speaker's office. Oh, sure. It's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> what have I done? Right, right. And you know Not what, a good call. No, and you know what you did They're that not calling you doing a great job. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I, I know what I did at the bus stop because I was probably misbehaving. I know what I did on the bus because I was probably misbehaving. Right, right. And you get called to the principal's office. And, and places don't do this now. But 
I, I get to the principal's office and there's a big counter and there's a box sitting on it and the lady behind the counter said, we've collected clothes for the poor children in the school and here's your box of clothes. Oh dear. That's how I found out that I was poor because I didn't really know because living up on the hill, which later became Reeds Hill Road, not because we were wealthy, not because we had any great prestige, it was just because of longevity. You never left. Right. <laughs> uh, but the people around me were all the same. And again, I didn't go hungry, so I didn't really know that I was poor. Right. But, I mean, we, we would maybe get a bath once a week. We would bring the big tub into the kitchen and fill it up with water and get a bath. And then you grew up in... So, so then, I'm sorry, then I went to Oklahoma with foster parents, finished high school, and went to college at Northeastern Oklahoma State University, which was the local college. There were no grand college tours. This happened to be the college that was in the town where I was living. Right, right, right. And my foster parents had a background of having gone to college in Mississippi. So when you're sitting around the kitchen table at home, you're talking about what are you going to do in the fall? What are you going to do after high school? And so the, the, so the, discussion of, the discussion of going but, to college. But the expectation become, became a culture. It's, like, it's, not like, yes. it's, not where you're, it's not if you're going, it's where you're going. Right. It becomes an option that had yeah, never in existed house, before. It wasn't an option. It's like, where are you going to go to college? It's like, uh, am I going to college? It was right. not a question. Right. For, for me, that was the way it was. It was never discussed because. And it if would, that had not happened, you wouldn't have gone to college. I don't think so. Yeah. I, I don't think so. And I, I don't know what my life would have been like then because you, when you get to my age or your age or whatever, you can look back at your life and you can see the decisions that you made or the decisions that were made for you. Mm -hmm. and, and it's like, I can tell people, it's like, I would never want to wish my childhood on anyone because you don't want to ask anyone's mother to leave when you're six years old. Oh, yeah. But had she not done that, I can see that it's like, I probably would still be in Buena Vista I would be one of Ronnie Campbell's constituents, and I think my family would still be kind of eking out an existence in the mountains of Virginia because that was what my family had done for 12 generations previously. It. It, there's a, there, I was watching on Instagram yesterday, was, there was a reel with um, Kevin Hart. And he talked mm -hmm. about growing up in Philadelphia and taking the SATs. And he literally went abacadabba down the, down the line as a joke, mm -hmm. right? And he got like 545 on his SATs. Because mm -hmm. he, he wanted to get out of there to go to um, Great America Amusement Park, whatever it's right, called right. out there. All of his other friends took the test the week before and prepared for it. Right. And they went to Temple. They went to Drexel. They, they went to college. Mm -hmm. And he goes, because I was screwing around and didn't prepare, you know, this is what I got. And he said, prepare for the opportunities that come to right, your life. Right. And, and, you know, he didn't do that. Right. And that's, that, that struck me is that, you know, we have these moments that you don't know are moments at the you, time. You, you don't. And, and that's one of the reasons why it's like I tell them, I have two daughters who are now adults. And I tell them, and, and I use this as well, is that um, I come down here and I want to be the very best possible delegate that I can be. And, and I tell my girls, do the very best job in whatever job you're doing and people will recognize it and you'll be given other opportunities along the way. And I think that's part of the reason why it's like I did a good job, I conducted myself in a certain way, and that's probably partly why I got appointed to appropriations. And then I think the reason why Speaker Gilbert decided to keep me on appropriations because it's like you try to do the very best job at what you're doing. Right. And I'm down here to solve problems. I mean, because one of the things that I've said to folks is, is that this is by far the best job I've ever had. And people will think that you're crazy. But it's like I have the opportunity to go home and listen to people, 
listen to what their concerns are, mm -hmm. why the system is not working the way that it should be for because them. Because you came up through these systems. Right. And then these, I, these are important to you, I, I think, at a, at a core level. That's my, my, my impression, having never met you before we came in here, right? Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> we introduced ourselves. Uh -huh. And that's why we leave it unscripted, so we can you know, really dive into the personalities and the people who do this. You, you have a passion for education mm -hmm. and the buildings. Right. That comes out. Right. And then you also have a passion for this, this element of getting things done right. and these systems aligning to help people. That, that's exactly right. Because you have the ability to come down here and work with people to find solutions to problems. And then unlike in Washington, it's like we only have 60 days in the long session or 45 days to get it done. Oh, well. and, and it's like that short time frame focuses you. You have deadlines. Yes. They're real deadlines. Be, be, because there's this old saying, and I can't remember who said it, that it's like work expands to fill the time compensated for its completion. And because there is no deadline in Washington, they just, roll. Then they just keep rolling it forward. That's right. You've got 45 or 60 days down here to get something get, done. And you've got to go home and get it done. Right. And, and then For $17,000. Yeah. I don't, and, how, and, I don't and, know how you live with yourself. And, and, kind and, of and then when it gets done. Even the camera person. The, the, the governor. The yeah. The, the governor will sign it and, and it will become law on July the 1st. Oh, yeah. And so if you had started talking to a constituent in September or October about a problem, you have the ability to be able to fix it by I July. Did say I did that. Yes, and, and say to them that you did it. So I, I graduated from college and then came back to this area. Loudon. Yeah, I mean, initially uh, my first wife and I moved to Maryland. Okay. And then we were together for five years, no children, got divorced. Um, we were just too young. I was 21 at the time, she was 21. It's just one of those things that happened. And we, we still stay in contact. She's up in um, upstate New York, and so we're, we're you know, still amicable and everything. But then I moved back to Alexandria, lived in Alexandria for about 17 years, was very involved in the Alexandria Democratic okay. Committee meeting uh, um, party there. Knew, knew Dick Saslaw from you know, a long time ago when I was there, and then moved uh, my wife and I, my current wife, Barbara, we got married in 1993, lived in Alexandria. I made the mistake of calling my wife current wife just because it's been such part of our vernacular. Uh -huh. And she goes, I'm your only wife. And I was like, ugh. Oh, really so, so you only had one. Well, she's a large, large, she's a large personality. So when yeah, I yeah. said she's you know, just one. Well, well yeah, yeah. So, so I, I can actually. 30 years plus. Yeah, okay. Well, good for you. Wait, so my, my wife and I now have been married for 28 years. Okay. So, rookies. Yeah. Rookies. Very but, little rookies. We then were looking, because I was working at the time in Reston for a joint venture between AT&T and British Telecom out in Reston. Okay. And doing reserve duty as a naval intelligence officer out with the National Reconnaissance Office out in Chantilly. So the idea was, it's like, eh, okay, we should move someplace out west. Because the house we had in Alexandria was great, but it's like, it had been built in 1957, so every time that we went to go do a repair, there was always these unintended consequences that you would find. And it's like, okay, if we're going to keep sinking this kind of money into this house, maybe we should look at getting a new one. And we went out and, and saw the area out in Ashburn in 1999 and looked at wow. a okay. piece of property that was part of a farm. It was just red Virginia soil and the girls were you know, this big and yeah, yeah. stood them there on what was at the time the, the, the sewer, you know, the sewer had been put in and said, we think that this is kind of where our house would be and decided, decided to make that purchase in 
1999 and have been there since 2000. That's fantastic. Let's, yeah. do, let's do a little bit more uh, personality on the cultural side. Favorite books? I am a big fan of science fiction, and so I like Isaac Asimov okay. and the whole Foundation and iRobot series. Okay. Uh, favorite TV shows? Favorite TV shows would probably be, if we're talking about currently, I would have to go with The Mandalorian. Okay. So Sci-fi. Mm -hmm. Staying in that yeah. realm there. And uh, movies then? Movies are going to probably fall into the same genre, something along that. Although I really have, uh, I, I really do like a lot of the work that Disney and Marvel had been doing with the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe. Those, those are really very appealing. Okay. But I will also say that my wife will, I, I mean, as, as our spouses do, it's like they will go to those movies with us, but they also have stuff that they want to go see. And one of the what ones... What trade off? What's your trade? Well, well, one of the ones that we just recently watched last weekend when I was home was... An American Underdog with uh, oh, the story Kurt about Warner. Kurt, Kurt Warner, yeah, 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 which it. it's like you're flipping through and it's like, okay, do I really want to watch this? Do I really want to watch this? And she's like, well, you know, I'd like to see it. And then you watch it and it's like, this is really very good. I've I mean, it's second, it, you're the second person it, it's, it's a good story. in that movie, American yeah, Underdog. Yeah. Uh, my trade-off is sadly the Hallmark Channel. So that's my, oh, that's my okay. penance. So, so it's, my, it's, my it's wife... It's a disaster. My wife really... She's got it mapped out. Like, oh, here comes the, mis the misunderstanding. Oh, here's the missed kiss. And it's like... It's the same damn story. Well, so, so, so my wife is really much more inclined to be watching a show about animals um, okay. uh, or home improvements. Oh, you and, too. And, yeah, so, so, so those Every are Every time. And it's, that gets expensive because mama likes drywall. And it just, just gets just tile and new doors. And, and I'm colorblind. And I'm like, really? Oh, well. well we have yeah. to go down this road. So, so that's kind of a funny story that kind of goes back to my... Yeah, you know, being brought up in like institutional, you know, right, like right, right. children's home or you know, right, right. academy type of settings, because I had developed a great fondness for off white, and so when when we moved into our fondness for <laughs> off white, well, when we moved into put, our put that on your website. Yeah, when we I moved have a fondness for off white. When we, when we moved, Dave in, Reed, yeah, pro off white. <laughs> when we moved into our new house, he's got to fight for off white. And, and the construction, <laughs> and it was all construction, eggshell white or whatever. <laughs> okay. She was like, oh, do you know, I, I think that I want to, like, be able to, you know, paint and add some colors and stuff like that. And I'm like, you know, this seems okay to me. <laughs> <laughs> like, beige is, like beige is, is yeah, an extension yeah, for you. That's yeah. really reaching for and, you. And, of course, Navy ships are a nice color of gray. I mean, you, 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 get, the, the, this, you this, battled out between taupe and tan. Though. Yeah, yeah. The, that the, guy. The, this, last, last question of sports. Uh, do you follow sports and who do you like? So um, that's really an, an interesting and good question because it's like when I was living here in Richmond and I was in the fifth grade, I played soccer in the fifth grade. Then when I went to Randolph-Macon Academy, I played soccer in the 10th grade. So not, not continuously, right, fifth right, right. grade, 10th grade. And then one of the big things, of course, out in Loudoun County is soccer. And so right. when our girls started coming up, we had said to them, we're, we're not going to be those families that are going to take you to 10 different things. It's like you can do two things. One, we insisted should be a team sport because we thought it was really important for young you know, women, young females right. to understand kind of the team environment and then an individual one. And so then I ended up like coaching my daughters in recreational soccer. And so I had to learn the game again. And one of the things that other people had said, oh, you need to get your children to like watch professional soccer because mm. you can learn a lot by watching. Absolutely. And so we started tuning into the English Premier League. Who's your team? 
uh, Tottenham Hotspurs. Give me some of that. Go really? Spurs. Yes, yes. yes. That's my Which team. is also very frustrating. Oh, and, God, they're awful yeah. this year. So, then so, they get good. Then they beat Man City. They, they beat Man City. And then, then, they, then they dive on Burnley. Right, right. That? And, and, and then they come back and they get four to nothing against Leeds, and then they right, lose right. to a championship team. It's just it's the, the term is Spursy. But, but, but anyway, so that's, that's my favorite soccer team, and, and that's the team that I will more oftentimes than not schedule time to sit and watch. Same. The other thing Love. that's great about that is that when they do the games at 9 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday Which or is Sunday, great. Means that it's like, and the other thing about soccer is, is that you only know, you know that you're into it only for two hours. Exactly. Because it's not like, okay, I like baseball, but baseball can go on for you know, 13, 14, 15 innings. And football now, it's only an hour of playing time, but it takes three plus hours for it to actually happen. Mm. And, and so that, that's a, a challenge as well. So, that, so the Spurs be the soccer team. And then on a football side, for whatever reason, when I was living at the children's home, you know, the 72 time frame, I latched onto the Green Bay Packers. And, and they weren't very good then. No, and, but, but it, 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 it stood me in good steed later because my wife's family is originally from Wisconsin. Well, there you go. And they're big Green Bay Packer fans, so it makes for everything nice being there. And okay. then b because I've lived in the Washington area for a long time, I was always a Washington football team, Washington Commanders fan. Okay. And that has been really kind of exasperating at times as well, I'd say for the last 20 years. One of my best friends from college, John DeSteiger, who's now the president of uh, Oklahoma Christian College out in Oklahoma City, he and I were talking when I first moved up here about how the, the, at the time, the Redskins, it was like a university town because there was just so much passion surrounding mm -hmm. the team. Oh, absolutely. Be, because th th there wasn't like a big university in Northern Virginia that right. had a team. Right, there right. Wasn't that's a, a great UVA connection. or Virginia that's a great Tech connection culture with Northern like Virginia, right. Yeah. They, were, they were so passionate about the Redskins. They, they were, and, and it has declined, and it's not so much. Now. Well, maybe the new stadium will bring them back. You never can tell. Don't know. I, I think that's just a structure. There's more kind of, I, I know that they're trying. I, I've met with the executives. I've not met with the Snyders, but I've met with the executives, and I know that they're trying to right the ship. But we'll see what that comes of that legislation. Yes. Thanks for joining us, Delegate. Thanks for David having me. Loud, this is David great. Reed from Loudoun County and your new district, 28? It's going to be the 28th district, 28th. but as I like to tell everyone, in the 32nd, I represent them until after that election in November of 2023, and officially, not until I get sworn in as Does it the change, Did your district change a lot? So the interesting thing is, is that in Loudoun County, we've grown so much. So if you, if you More think- More compact. Well, in 2011, these districts were all drawn for 80,000 people. Mine had grown to 101,000. So the new number needed to be 85 or 86. So I had to shed 15,000 people to get down to the right size. And the, because the Supreme Court ended up doing the drawing, I had no say in it, and so it became more compact. Yeah. I mean, it was already fairly compact. Right. It became more compact, but I think I kept about 63% okay. of my current district, which is good. And it, it would have been, I, I'm, I'm, you know, this is kind of the dual-edged sword of the whole redistricting thing because it's like, while we might wanted to have like drawn our own districts in the past, it would have been really very difficult if I had been able to sit, if I would have had to sit down and go, I'm going to like give up this precinct. Because one of the things that happens, and I imagine this happened because you said you served for eight or 10 years, mm -hmm. you develop an affinity 
oh, for yeah. every precinct that's, oh, that, gosh, that's in yeah. there. You you become much more kind of parochial about that, and, and it's like I would not want to part with any of them because I can point to each one of those precincts mm-hmm. and say, I have friends, I have supporters, I have You're people. Invested. Yeah, those that, relationships that, goes back to the fundamental yeah, question about relationships. It, it, it really does, and so. It, it, so I, I lost some areas because I just had to because of the population growth. Right, right. And I picked up some areas that makes it look more compact. It's like one of the areas that I picked up is around the 1757 golf course. It's like it had yeah, been yeah. carved out before. But there's not a lot of people who live at this particular golf course. It's right. not one with houses on it. Okay. But it makes the district look more compact. compact. Which is what the goal was all right, along. Right. All right. Thanks for joining us on the VIP podcast and our brand new VIP delegate, David Reed of Loudoun County in a new district. Take a look. What's your website? DavidReed.com? David, David, DelegateDavidReed.com. DelegateDavidReed.com. Okay. Chris Saxman, VIP podcast brought to you by VCTA, the Broadband Association of Virginia and Virginia Free. Thanks for joining us. Make sure you subscribe, like, and share us. Thank you so much.